0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. In, in, in the way in this morning, you'd have got a little booklet, I hope you did. If you didn't get one, raise your hand and the guys at the back will get you one. Here's a few, did you? If you haven't got one, keep, would you would you get the books, Mervyn, or some of the guys at the back there? They're sitting out at the info point, and anybody that has their hand up, when you make sure they get a book. This is a gift from us for the summer series. We'd love you to. We'd love you to. Um, just in case your muscles get sore, I'll tell you when they come through the door. All right, and you can put your hand up again, because I can see some of you going like this now. So, um, all right. Um, these are little Mark's Gospels. We got them free many years ago, right? Hands up again if you haven't got one. There you go, guys. Good, thank you. Um, one of the things that we'd love you to do, we'd love you to bring this. We've loads and loads of them, so don't be panicking, but we'd love you to bring this each Sunday, morning and night, if you come to the both services. We're going to be doing a series in Mark's Gospel, and this is Mark's Gospel, all right? This little booklet that you got this morning. This is our gift to you. Um, And uh, one of the reasons that we're doing this, Dave and I were having a bit of a conversation over the last few weeks about um, bringing Bibles to church. And you know, we're screen heavy, so we we like visuals. And it's important to have visuals. People, the, the stats show that you remember a lot more of what you see and hear. Um, so it's important that everybody got one? Yes? Good. Um, so it's important that we do that. But sometimes in putting stuff on the screens, we've maybe killed the art of bringing your Bible to church. And I don't really mind if it's on a phone or an iPad or whatever, if it's a book, whatever. But we'd love, come September, we'd love to re energize you to think at least about bringing some kind of mechanism, whether it's a book or a phone. Um, with a Bible on it to read, because there's something about reading the Scripture. I, old school, I also think there's something about carrying a Bible, but I better not go there, you maybe throw me out. Um, but I do think there is something about carrying a Bible. There's something about carrying it, um, the Word of God. I have I, traveled near and far. I was a lorry driver for many years. I sailed a boat in Loch Nairn. I don't think I ever went anywhere without my Bible. Kenny used to make fun of me um, when we climbed, when we, we, we were doing the mountains. He was at the top of Mourns one day, and he says to me, Phil, do you not realize you can get a smaller Bible than that to carry up the mountains? So um, what I want you to do, what I want you to do, I want you to turn to page two in your little book. I think it is page two, maybe it's not, no, it's right, six, page six in your little book. We're going to read the first 19 verses of... Mark's gospel, all right? The first 19 verses, you'll see our little graphic there. We're calling it the servant king. Thanks to Nat for putting this together for us, reflecting on Jesus in Mark's gospel. So right through the summer, eight weeks now, right up until the last week in August, we'll be going through Mark, all right? And we'll be doing that. Tara is on tonight, Tara McIlwain will be speaking tonight, and she'll be speaking sort of the tail end of Mark 1 and the beginning of Mark 2 around healings and the authority of Christ. The preaching of John the Baptist. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It began just as God had said in the book written by Isaiah, the prophet, I am sending you my messenger to get the way ready for you. In the desert, someone is shouting, get the road ready for the Lord, make make a straight path for him. So John the Baptist appeared in the desert and told everyone, turn back to God and be baptized and your sins will be forgiven. From all Judea and Jerusalem, crowds of people went to John. They told how sorry they were for their sins and he baptized them in the river Jordan. John wore clothes made of camel's hair. He had a leather strap around his waist and he had grasshoppers and wild honey. He was an exciting boy, wasn't he? Um, That was a good dad. John also told the people, someone more powerful is going to come, and I am not good enough to even stoop down and untie his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the River Jordan. As soon as Jesus came out of the water, he saw the sky open and the Holy Spirit coming down to him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, you are my Own dear son, and I am pleased with you. Straight away, God's Spirit made Jesus go into the desert. He stayed there for 40 days while Satan tested him. Jesus was with the wild animals, but angels took care of him. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee and told the good news that comes from God. He said, the time has come. God's kingdom will soon be here. Turn back to God and believe the good news. As Jesus was walking along the shore of the lake of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen. They were casting their nets into the lake. Jesus said to them, Come with me and I will teach you how to bring uh, in people instead of fish. At once the two brothers dropped their nets and went with them. Jesus walked on and soon saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat mending their nets. At once Jesus asked them to come with him. They left their father in the boat. And they hired workers and went with him. And the Lord will bless his reading. There's loads of space over your little book to, over the period of time. If you want to write on it, please feel free to do that. Scribble over it. Um, it's really important. Mark is one of what we know as the synoptic gospels. The word synoptic just means a general summary or similar to. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. All right, John's a standalone which you'll see in a minute or two, I'll show you. But the, these three um, are, are probably similar stories. Mark is the first to be written. Um, the Gospel of Mark illustrates Jesus as a person, and the ministry of Jesus is revealed in vivid detail, uh, and the messages of His teaching are presented more um, through what Jesus done than what He said in the miracle. So it's a book of action John was a servant, and so it's written, it's usually called the Gospel of the Servant. So he writes it in the context of a servant, and he sees Jesus as the servant king. Um, John Mark, again, as we know, his name was the author of the Gospel, and it is believed that he was an attendant to the Apostle Peter. All right, it's important to know that John Mark was not one of the disciples, he was not one of the twelve disciples. He was probably. Um, an attendant of Peter. Um, and this is the same John Mark who traveled with Paul and Barnabas, remember, in their first missionary journey um, in Acts 13. Um, and 1 Peter 5, 13 actually records Peter saying, Mark was calling him my son. So Peter and Mark were very, very close. Um, the, the, there was something about um, this Apostle Peter that influenced Mark greatly, and combined with what he had learned in his mother's house, because his mother was a sort of a a church leader, so there have been many meetings in John Mark's mother's house. You'll maybe remember when Peter gets out of prison, um, he goes to the house of John Mark. That's where he goes, to John Mark's mother's house, where a prayer meeting is being held. So, um, it is believed that this gospel was written just probably prior uh, or just after um, Peter's death, thus, it's probably in around um, 65 to 70 AD. Now, I don't know why you'll be able to see this on the screen, but I put it on. Um, don't don't panic, and I know it is really small. I just wanted to put it all on at once. It's the chronological order of the New Testament. It's important for you to know that the gospels weren't written before the epistles. The epistles were written first, all right, so the epistles Paul is writing the, the the seven of the letters come before anything, and then probably Galatians and Mark are in around a similar time so it's really important to understand that this chronological order so we know that um, um, the Gospels um, provide a bit of a window so so while 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 the the epistles set out the structure of the early church. The gospels seem to pick up a, a trend of, or, or a window of into the life of early Christian communities. So, it's really important that we understand this. Placing the gospels after Paul makes it clear that, that written documents, they're not the source of the early Christianity, but more the product of early Christianity, all right? So, it's really important that we grasp this, and um, also that Mark, um, was written first, uh, as you'll probably see that on the list of where Matthew and Luke are way down. It's probably thought that, that Matthew and Luke um, took Mark's Gospels and expanded on it. So, hence you have the similar story. So, um, most theologians would think that what happened was Matthew and Luke took Mark's as a servant, his, his work, and sort of expounded and give it a little bit more detail, but just important that you understand the order of this uh, is really, really important. Now, if Matthew Henry is right, and Matthew Henry's commentary is true, Mark is probably one of the original 70. You'll remember that, that there was the 12 disciples, and then there were 70 others that followed Jesus. It's most likely that John Mark was in that other 70. So, he wasn't one of the 12, but it probably followed from afar as one of the 70, and so he was probably there the day of Pentecost. He probably got filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and through the growth of as a disciple, contributed very powerfully to the early church. Again, we know that he grew up in a home where that gathered believers, um, and, and, and as a result of that, I think he was prob- probably pretty mummied, if that's the right word, and so he wasn't really tested or tried. So he grew up a little bit, um, maybe in, in a little bit of seclusion or a bit of a Christian bubble at that time. And therefore, whenever um, Paul and Barnabas heads out on their first missionary journey, they take John Mark with him. Um, and he realizes that life's a bit tougher and ministry is going to be tougher than what he really thought it was. So disillusioned and discouraged and a little bit um, dejected, he returns home, uh, Acts 13 tells us about that story. And then, due to the success of the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas decide to go on a second one, and of course they think Barnabas wants to take John Mark, and Paul not having it. He said, sort of, Paul was one of those people, one strike and you're out. Um, and so, uh, this is what it actually says in the Scripture, that Barnabas was determined, he was, he was determined to take with him John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought it not good because he left them in Pamphylia, uh, and the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed on to Cyprus. Now, if you if you we've we've studied there for months in the book of Acts, and we know that um, Luke concentrates on Paul. So when this happens in Acts 15, Luke picks up the pen of Paul and he writes, he follows pens, uh, he follows Paul's journey. But what happened to Mark? What happened to Mark and Barnabas? Is, is that them? I've heard preachers say in times past, oh, that was um, that was them sailing out of the scriptures. That is not true at all. Barnabas was a mighty man of God. It just happens that Luke penned the works of Paul. But there's loads of stuff that would happen if you are a historian or you like history. Some of the things aren't biblical, aren't, aren't Bible, but if you follow people like Josephus, who was a biblical or a, a Greek historian at the time of Jesus, you'll find loads of stuff that Barnabas and people like John Mark did. But John Mark didn't just disappear Um and we're going to fortunately the story doesn't end there and um, tradition would tell us and Josephus would tell us that Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus and then Barnabas left and went to Egypt and, and John Mark actually founded a church in Alexandra or Alexandria and um, not only was he the founder of the church actually um, history also tells us he became the bishop of that entire area and, and And such was his success that his converts um, actually were more than any other city. The converts in both numbers and sincerity to commitment were more in John Mark's ministry than most others. Interesting read if you can take time to do it. So it's assuring to know that um, if you fall or fail, that God is a God who picks you up, dusts you off, and gives you another go. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a product of that, all right, a product of God of the second, third, fourth, plus, plus, plus chance. God doesn't strike you off. He says a smoldering wick he is not about to quench, a bruised reed he's not about to break. Even the bruisedness of a reed that you'd think, what good would that be? Or the smoldering of a little flame of a candle. Well, God says, I'm not about to, to, to snuff that out or to break that reed. And so, whatever you're going through this morning, the prayer ministry team had a sense this morning of brokenness, they had a sense of emptiness, that maybe people had come in and feeling a little bit empty in their hearts, feeling maybe they're not even worthy to be here. If that's you this morning, then you need to know that a smoldering reed, a smoldering um, where God doesn't, He's not about to, to snuff out. Really, really important. Actually, And the prayer ministry will be in action after the service, if you would like prayer. When Mark resurfaces in the Bible, he's gone from being viewed as a deserter and a traitor um, to a valuable instrument of God. And when Paul was imprisoned in Rome in Colossians 4.10, if you want to write this in your book, in Colossians 4.10, Mark was actually in prison with him. Mark was actually imprisoned with Paul in Colossians 4. So it's interesting when you pick up these little trails um, through the New Testament. Paul now regards him as a fellow laborer in Christ. Philemon, verse 24, there's only one chapter in Philemon. But verse 24, Paul refers to, to Mark as a fellow laborer. I love that. And then when it comes near the end, in the very last book, the very last book that Paul would have penned before his death, literally months before he was about to leave the world and be beheaded by Nero, um, he writes, do your best to come quickly. All right, for Demas, because he loved the world, deserted me, gone to Thessalonica, and the Cretans have gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Interesting, isn't it? Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. So let's not write people off too quick. Amazing how we can hear people pick up on Paul and Barnabas's little row in Acts 13 and, and brand John Mark as a traitor or as a, a, a weakling. Not so. So it's really important. Um, unlike the other Gospels, Mark actually only records four parables, but he records 19 miracles four parables but 19 miracles and mark changes it's it's interesting this little word i find this little word in the greek in the in the passage that, that occurs 47 times and it means to to immediately it's like reading mark's gospel is a bit like um, it's a bit like a roller coaster it's it's this way and that way and this way and that way and it's like following a, it reminded me of you remember the way they used to do the old cartoons where they drew them and then you flicked it really hard and you the cartoon that's what that's what it reminded me when I read mark's gospel it's a bit like a it's a bit like immediately behold quickly soon you know it's all of this language and he uses this this greek word uh, as I say, forty-seven times strongs, page one, 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 two. If you want it, and then the gospel is divided into two neat parts as well. So the first part, the first section, is where the action is, in which Jesus, through his ministering, reaches out to people. Um, the servant ministering through miracles, through his authority over death and disease and 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 and, and sickness. Jesus was serving others in in a very public-oriented ministry as he served the multitudes. And th- this is the action of Jesus. This is it where he encourages the weary. And then the second part, which takes a big shift about Mark 8, 31 actually, verse 31, Mark 8, all the action seems to move to, the servanthood moves to sacrifice. And so we join the Calvary Road and, um, and we, we see more than 40% of this gospel is devoted to the events that 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 lead to and include the death, burial, and resurrection of the suffering servant. It's an incredible little gospel, just 16 chapters of it. And instead of having an emphasis in serving others, Jesus focused on sacrificing himself for others in the second part of the passage, especially for the lost sinner. Mark records more miracles for Christ than any of the other gospels. Interesting, isn't it? He records more miracles... Um, proving Jesus' divinity by his demonstration of power. That's the whole thing about Mark, his servanthood, his, his, his demonstration of the power of Christ. And there are more miracles and messages in Mark's gospel, and Jesus so, shows in this that he means what he says, and he is who he says, which is very powerful. In Mark, we see the Messiah coming as a servant. He reveals more of what he does. So, jesus he, What Mark's doing is he's capturing Jesus on the move, which I love, all right? He skips the birth of Jesus, and he dives quickly into presenting the public ministry. And for the next eight weeks, we're gonna go on a journey. There's gonna be different people morning and night speaking, but we're gonna go on a journey, and we're gonna try and give you some snapshots. I've just given you 10 minutes or so of a little snapshot of the gospel. You can find some of that actually page 37 of your book. A little bit of the history of Mark is in the back end of your book. All right, we're going to start this morning where Mark's gospel begins with Jesus' baptism and his temptations, right? Our first stop in the journey is this place here on the screen. It's a place called um, Qumran, which is a monastic village that overlooked the Dead Sea. This is most likely where, well, it it is where the Dead Sea scrolls were were found and um, transcribed. So it overlooks the Dead Sea. Um, and it's most likely where John the Baptist grew up, all right? And it was a, monist, it was a bit of a monastic type of village, quite interesting, actually. So, um, and it was there probably that, that he, he, John the Baptist was shaped, and his practice of baptism, as we'll see in a minute, was probably clarified. From there, we'll go to here. We're going to go to the Jordan River, where Jesus left his hometown and walked 13 miles um, from his dad's carpentry shop, one day he brushed the floor for the last time, and he brushed up the floor, and he brushed the sawdust, and he parked the, his dad would have been dead at this time, and he parked the brush, and he walked from Nazareth to here, 13 miles, never to go back to work in that field. Interesting. And it was here that he got baptized by, um, by John the Baptist. And then we're gonna go to this place, and this is called the, the Mount of Temptation. This is where Jesus was taken from um, after he was um, baptized and where he was tempted of the devil. Pretty derelict looking place, all right? So our journey begins here on the banks of um, Comrade, the banks of the Dead Sea, and the people who lived in this monastic community were probably known as the Essenes. E S S E N N E S. The Essenes or Essens, as some people pronounce it. In all likelihood, they heavily influenced John the Baptist's own thinking. Perhaps he was raised here as a young boy, and now this community—they believed in ritual purification. So, what John the Baptist would have been grown up in would have been these walk through a bit like a sheep dip for the sheep farmers here, Sadie's here, a bit like a, a, a sheep dip. And, and basically, what these people would have done, they would have walked down steps into a tank, and they would have walked through this tank, and then they would have walked up the other side, and their whole ritualistic belief was in purification. So, they believed they would have day and daily, they would have been through this process of of, of holiness, they were a very holy, righteous people. lived this monastic lifestyle of separation, and so they would they would have this purification practice, which was outward, which they believed in some shape or form, um, done something inside them. I'm not sure where this would have happened, but somewhere in the process of John the Baptist, thinking the forerunner of Jesus, he sees this baptism, this ritual of purification, and he thinks there's got to be more in this, maybe. He thinks there's got to be more in this, and so um, he leaves, they reckon, when he was in around 30, and he heads to the Jordan, and uh, he, he, he starts to baptize and call people, not just to, not just to do this self-purification act, but to repent of their sins, to trust in this one who was coming after him, and he would baptize them in water, and so it is there that that Jesus appears to him on the banks of the Jordan and John's baptizing away and he sees Jesus coming and he stops and he goes, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus walks on, steps down into the water, asks John to baptize him. him. They have this little argument, I can't baptize you. What was Jesus doing? Well, Jesus didn't need to be baptized because it wasn't that he needed to repent of sin because he didn't have any sin, but he was stepping into the waters of baptism to show his alignment with humankind. He was showing his humanity. He was showing his alignment. He was the forerunning for for us what we should do, showing the powerful act of baptism. It wasn't because he was a sinner, as I say, but instead he was modeling for us a way of leading for us to follow in the waters of baptism. Hence, we do this every um, last Sunday night of every month, which is very powerful. Now, two big things that I want to show you that happened when Jesus was baptized. The first thing that happened, he comes up out of the water, and where we read today, it says, the sky opened and, and, and the Spirit visibly descended on him like a dove. The writers are saying, not dead sure. It's a bit like the Acts 2 principle. It was a, like a, a sound of a rushing wind. It wasn't a rushing wind, but the only way we could describe it was a rushing wind. The writer here is saying, I, I'm not dead sure what it was, but it was like a dove that came from heaven and it lit upon him. And then there was a voice from heaven, and this voice from heaven boomed out and it declared, You are my son. And I love you entirely and completely. Now, I often wonder when I read that three times, uh, we, we read in Scripture that Jesus spoke out of heaven, uh, that God spoke out of heaven to Jesus, and on all three occasions, he told him who he was and what he thought of him. And I think of this moment in time when Jesus has just parked his brush in his carpenter's shop. When he's walked his 13 miles and he stepped into the waters of baptism, of all the things I would have liked God to tell me, I'm thinking. He it would have been nice if he had told them he's about to go into the wilderness and here's what you should say and here's how you should react and here's how to, here's how to cope when the enemy comes against you. And, and, and you see when you go to Gethsemane and the disciples fall asleep, here's what you need to remember. And you see when they put the cross on you and, 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 and when you're carrying the load of sin, you remember, you're, you remember that we, we chatted about this in eternity past, all of that. But no, no, no. He says, you're my son and I love you. You're my son and I love you. And for those of you who are feeling that brokenness and that emptiness, the same voice boomed from heaven today into your soul and into your heart and it says the exact same thing. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I love you completely. I don't care if you've turned your back and ran away like John Mark did at one time. I'm ready to dust you off. You need to come back to the father's house like the prodigal son. And so there's this incredible moment in Jesus' life that stamps his identity, that stamps his, 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 what, what God actually thinks of him. And, and then, then he receives this power, this visible manifestation before any confrontation of the enemy, before any manifestation of ministry could take place. This had to prelude it all. Now, this is a word of caution and a word of warning, all right? And a word of encouragement. Before we do anything, before we do anything, first of all, we need to know who we are. You need to know that you are a son and a daughter of Christ. Don't be like the seven sons of Sceva. They thought, they saw the apostles casting out demons. They thought, we'll give this a go. And so they went and they thought they'd pray and cast out some demons and said, we pray in the name of these apostles and we cast out these demons. And these demons manifested and beat them up and bloody their noses and ripped their clothes. And these seven guys ran out squealing. Why? Because they didn't know who they were. They didn't know they were loved. And they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're going to do ministry in the kingdom and going to have impact in the kingdom, you've got to know those three things. You've got to know who you are. You've got to know your sonship, your daughtership. You've got to know that you are loved by Almighty God. Loved not for, not for what you do, but for who you are. Those of you who have kids know this, all right? No matter what happens your kids, they're your kids. No matter what way they grow up, they're your kids. No matter what direction they go, they're your kids. You love them. You love them not because of what they do. You love them because of who they are. And you know how you can do that? Because you have a God who does that. You have a God who agapes. You have a God who actually loves you, and you can do nothing about it. You you can reject the love of God you want, but you still get it. (laughs) See, the covenant, this New Testament covenant was... (laughs) was implied by one party and it doesn't matter whether the other party accepts it or not, you got it. So nobody can ever stand in the realms of heaven and the realms of eternity and say, well, I was never loved because we're loved by Almighty God. And so before we do anything, we need to get those things stamped on us. And sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes people mightn't know who you are until you slay your giant. Hmm. People mightn't actually know who you are until you slay her, She See, what happens was Jesus gets this amazing baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God leads him out for a confrontation of the devil. Man, I, I that, like that baffles me. I tend to think, well, that was the enemy. No, 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 it was the spirit of God. He's going to toughen them. He's going to test them. He's going to try them. He's going to show the spiritual muscle, and he leads them out for a confrontation. After, after this identity download, after this love download, after this holy holy spirit download, he he brings them out into the in into the desert for forty days and forty nights. To be confronted by the devil himself, not one of his cohorts, not one of his, his 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 little demons, but the devil himself confronts Satan or confronts Jesus. Incredible, and so and so Jesus um, takes this with with such power and which might intentionally led to be tested, and the Bible's really clear in this. And of course, we know that there's three um, testings, and they're um, here they are, the first ones to do with his flesh. He, after 40 days, he's probably drank some water from a stream, but no food. After 40 days and 40 nights, he's, he's, he's hungry. He's hungry. And, and the devil turns up and he says, well, why don't you just turn the stones into bread? After all, like you've got a bit of power. Turn the stones into bread. And 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 so he, he 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 tempts him in his flesh, all right? His flesh. He he's tempting his senses, his appetite, his natural desires. There's a temptation to satisfy physical need, you see. And um and 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 Jesus has gone without food, and he must have been desperately hungry. And Jesus it's like the devil saying this. This is my little tech on it. You know all that you've You've, you've done for 40 days, well, you've committed yourself. You've proved yourself. Now, just just break your fast. Just, just do, do this little act. <laughs> Basically, the proposition was this. Remain true to God and suffer the bitter pangs of hunger or disobey God and do the devil's bidding and satisfy your flesh. All of us face that one every day, don't we? Our flesh is a powerful thing. We blame the enemy sometimes when just... It's just our flesh. You see, we've got three enemies, the world of flesh and the devil, and sometimes it's just our flesh. When we say, I need that, or, or even more, we say, I deserve that. I deserve that. I deserve that little thing. I deserve that little treat. And perhaps your physical needs is a different one, but whatever it is, we need to be careful when it comes to our fleshly desires that we feel we can just... The next one is the area of compromise. The devil texts Jesus and shows him the kingdoms of the world in an instant, in an instant, in an instant. He texts, this is interesting what you read in these little snippets in the Bible. Texts him to a high mountain, transports him. Incredible power. Texts him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms. He says, look at Jericho. See it over there? Look at Jerusalem, everything there. See all that wealth, all that power and glory? Well, it's been given to me. No, 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 it wasn't given to you. You stole it. Well, whether I stole it or not, I have it. It's given to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. And if you bow down and worship me, then it'll be yours. You just need to follow my path. Isn't that incredible? That at, at, at the Garden of Eden, when Adam sinned, <laughs> Satan stole the rights. That's why he's called the prince of the power of the earth. He could take this very son of God and show him the kingdoms of the earth and said, I'll give these to you. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was doing a thing. It was the temptation of compromise. He was saying, the devil is offering him an easy way out. He's offering him a shortcut to the process. All right? Why spend, like you're just starting out, why spend three years of difficult ministry and end up hanging on a cross? When you can have it all now, all the glory, all the authority, all the splendor, right here, right now, I've given you right now. Just go, just shortcut the process. Anybody feel that has happened, where there's a little shortcut comes in and you think, well, I could do it this way, I could do it this way, and, and nobody would ever know. Compromise is a powerful thing, and there's a struggle to that. Um, but it has a price. We compromise our beliefs. We compromise who we are and and when we we don't do it the right way. And so there's always a temptation uh, to do that. The last one, which I think is probably one of the worst ones, is this one, and it's to do with pride, because all of us are proud. All of us have pride, all right? And what's not born in prayer is born in pride, all right? So there's something about pride in all of us. We all have a little bit of it and some of us more than others. And so this temptation was about pride and fame and glory. It was a temptation to exalt himself, not God, but it was a temptation to to work some miracle. It was undisputable. You jump off this pinnacle and the angels will come down and you'll get a little fluffy cushion and they'll catch you and you'll float down like a wee feather and everybody will say, wow, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Now, here's, here's, here's what I want to say, and we need to get this round up pretty quick. I don't know about you, but um, in, in the system of, of life, if we can imagine life like this here, and in, in life, there is a throne, and sometimes we sit on the throne, mostly self sits on the throne. And life's a bit like this, where there's all these things going on, and all, oh, life's just hectic. And there's big things, and there's wee things, and, and and of course we go to church on Sunday, and God lives outside our world, and we draw Him in when needed. So so we'll 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 bring we'll bring God to church if we need it, and we'll 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 we'll, we'll maybe read an odd passage of Scripture if we really need to. Some of you hope you can all see that. That all right? Um, so this is really important, that's the way most people live their lives, self on the throne, we are the masters of our own destiny, we rule our own lives, God's out here somewhere, and we draw him in when we need him, oh, I never thought of praying about that, oh, I right, let's, let's do that, let's pray about that, and so God lives outside, what actually should really happen is that if, if, we're, if, we, if, if we get this right and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, what happens is in this throne of our lives, we put God on the throne, all right? And we actually put ourselves at the foot of the throne, and then all of a sudden, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added on. Instead of your life being a sort of a, a mixture and a mess, all of a sudden, God starts to orchestrate your world and things begin to happen that you think, my goodness, I never. So instead of this sort of scenario where life's just a, 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 a and we're jumping from one thing to another and everything is everywhere and then we, uh, when, whenever it gets unbearable, we, we fire a prayer up to heaven. What about this? What about placing God on the throne of your life and saying, God, I'm surrendering. I, I, I'm making a mess of this every day, God. What about if I just surrender this to you and you become the God of my life and you live in the throne and I will be your footstool. And he says, when you seek first, all right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his right ways. then all of these things begin to fall into place. And you begin to realize, wow, I didn't realize that was the truth, but this is what it happens. And so it's really, really important, really important to note that at the end of every scripture reference, at the end of every, every temptation, there was a scripture reference. Now, now, Satan knew the scripture because he knows it, all right? He knows it, and, and he, but he bent it a little bit. But every time Jesus responded, he responded with the word. He had buried something in his heart, you see. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, that word regard means look on sin with sympathy, the lord will not hear me but if we bury the word of god in our heart then something comes out of the well when crisis hits it comes out of the well you see because it's in it's there and when crisis hits the word of god comes up because you you've it's in there and it was in it was in christ and so he would respond and he would respond and he would respond there's a lesson here folks you need to see this here there is no shortcut to it there is no shortcuts to it somebody said to me a few months ago uh, Phil you're always hammering the word. And I, whenever it happens, this was his words. He said, whenever it happens, he said, there we go again. We're not reading the Bible enough. I said, you're dead right. You've got the message. He was frustrated. I was excited. Um, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's something about the deposit. Here's a verse. I love this little verse. I've I've, I've taught you this verse over the years. It's not the truth that sets you free. You see, the, if you say to somebody, I do this with kids sometimes, is the Bible powerful? I say, well, let's say I do some tricks. It's just a book. It's just leather and pages of writing on it. It's just a logos. But you see, it's not the truth that sets you free. It's the knowledge of the truth that sets you free. And if it's just a book, you could set that in your sideboard and it won't do one diddly squat thing to your house. But you put it in your heart, and you place it in your mind. <laughs> It'll ward off every attack of the enemy. Johnny's going to come. We're going to finish with a song. Can I say as a finish, a couple of wee things as we close off. Um, really important. All right. Um, see in your, your little book, see your little book, um, the last few verses, um, verses um, 16 to 19. This is just really interesting. Just a couple of little thoughts as we conclude. Um, As Jesus was walking along the shore of the lake of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were fishermen, and they were casting their nets into the lake. Interesting little thought, isn't it? Jesus said to them, come with me, and I'll teach you how to bring in people instead of fish. That's interesting. So Jesus finds them doing something in the natural, and he says, "I I could make that natural gift spiritual. It's the Romans 12 giftings, Haven't time to go into today. Now, look, look what it says. At once, the two brothers dropped their nets, went with him. Jesus walked on and soon saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were also fishermen. Now, it doesn't say that, all right? It just says the sons of Zebedee. They were in a boat mending their nets. Now, what did Jesus say to them? And Jesus asked them to come with him. So he saw two boys casting their nets, And he says, guys, I could show you how to actually catch people because interesting that Peter and Andrew became two of the greatest evangelists there was. Peter preached in the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved and baptized. Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Incredible. Um, And and then he goes on down the shore and he sees James and John and they're mending the nets. And he, he doesn't say, boys, I could teach you how to catch people. He says, come on with me. I have a wee job for you. And when you study the Scripture, you'll find that James and John became the greatest menders of the church. <laughs> Incredible. They were the menders and, and the makers of the church. They were the guys you wanted in when problems came. Powerful, isn't it, how God can use natural ability for a spiritual benefit? I had an old friend who used to say to me, if it's not practical, it's not spiritual. See, Tuesday and Thursday night here when we did all the stuff it was fun and all of that. I wasn't about much on Thursday because I had a meeting up in Warren Point, but I wanna tell you something. God looks in that. Please don't think you just woke up with sore muscles the next morning and and, 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 and and a dusty throat and God didn't take any God notes that. God notes that. That is something profound in the heavenly kingdom. And I think sometimes we rate spiritual, you know, almost like, oh, they're up the mountain, and I just do the stuff that's at the bottom of the mountain. That's a nonsense. It's a nonsense. I quoted this and finished Sorry. I quoted this Monday night as we finished off. We used to sing an old hymn in the Brethren, and there was a little line in it that said this. I've never forgot it imprinted on my mind. It said that, deeds of merit as we thought them, he will tell us were but sin. Little acts we had forgotten. He will tell us we're for him. stand before the throne someday, and he says, you remember that, doing that wee job? I thought, wow, I can hardly remember doing that. It was so insignificant. And God says, man, I saw that. See that place where your chest was puffed out, and you thought everybody was looking at me, and you thought everybody, you called that prayer line, and you thought, boy, I'm successful. 20 people came up for prayer would So we're started off in our journey of Mark's gospel. Can I just say to you this as we conclude this morning? Jesus said this in Gethsemane when he, when he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He said if there's any other way to do this, this wasn't compromise. If there's any other way to do it, he said God could you do it? Nevertheless, not your will but Mine, thine be done, thine be done, thine be done. Not my will, thine be done. Could that be our prayer as we leave here this morning? God, I'm tempted in the flesh, I'm tempted to compromise. My pride sometimes gets the best of me, but God, this morning, can I say, Can my prayer be not my will, save me from myself, not my will, but thine be done? Let's stand together, we'll worship and then we'll pray. Our service is over. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.